Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today's episode is presented by Spot Injury Insurance. Spot provides injury insurance that is actually affordable. It starts at $25 a month and covers you up to $20,000 each time you're injured. And that is whether you get hurt doing something really rad or whether you trip over your friend's pet chihuahua and still need to go get stitches or something. Furthermore, your spot plan works whether you have health insurance or not. And since so many of us have crazy high deductibles of $5,000, $6,000, $7,000 or more, well, the great news here is that your spot injury coverage kicks in right away and not after you have to pay an $8,000 deductible or whatever. Spot is a pay-by-the-month subscription that works 24-7 worldwide. So seriously, if you have a sky-high deductible or you don't have health insurance at all, please go to blister.getspot.com, check out the benefits of Spot for yourself, and please get yourself covered. That's blister.getspot.com. Okay, today we are covering a number of very big topics with the CEO of Moose Jaw, Owen Comerford. Owen and I discuss how we can actually increase diversity and promote inclusivity in the outdoor industry, and I mean actually increase it and not just keep talking about it. Owen and I also discuss the origins of Moose Jaw, what Moose Jaw's objectives are today, and how those objectives are informed by Moose Jaw's parent company, Walmart. We also talk about the Moose Jaw Outdoor Accelerator, which is an exciting opportunity to increase both diversity and innovation in the outdoor industry. And I hope that a number of you listening to this will in fact apply for this outdoor accelerator. We'll go into more details about it, of course, in this conversation, and we'll also include a link to the Moose Jaw Outdoor Accelerator webpage in the show notes to this episode. So yes, we cover a lot of important topics in this conversation, and just to be clear, my goal here is not to tell you what to think, but rather just to make sure that we are all thinking as clearly as we can about all of these big interconnected topics. And so with that, let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Owen Comerford. Well, Owen, how are you today and where are you today? I am great. I am in suburban Detroit, Michigan, which is the home of Moose Jaw. Why don't you tell us in sort of your own words about Moose Jaw? How do, how do you describe Moose Jaw? A Moose Jaw, our vision is to be the outdoor enthusiast's most loved gear shop. And, and really, you know, we're all about having fun. Uh, with our customers and with the outdoors and, and, and fun and, and humor has been a big part of everything that we do. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's, and that's what's really set us apart. I think over the years from other outdoor retailers is, you know, we're not this uber serious, you know, man versus the mountain type of approach. It's, Hey, we're out here to have a good time and uh, let's not take ourselves too seriously and let's enjoy ourselves. And how long have you been at Moose Jaw and talk to us a little bit about 
your time there and your current role? Sure. So it's been over 12 years, which is kind of crazy when you think back on it. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I joined actually in November of 2008, which was a heck of a time to join the company. Uh, obviously, we're in the middle of a sort of economic meltdown. We had just launched a new website that didn't really work. Our, our largest uh, vendor had just gone direct. I mean, it was a, it was a wild time. And the founder uh, of the business was, was stepping away. So uh, yeah, so I joined as the head of marketing. And I just, uh, from, from the get-go, just loved the company, loved the brand, loved the people, and uh, really have you know, grown with the company. After a couple of years, I took on IT as well as marketing. And then since 2012, I have been in the CEO role. And tell me more about where did you grow up? We've talked about it. You, your name is Owen, but uh, it is not maybe the most common spelling of Owen, at least for those of us living, uh, you know, yeah. in, in North America, E-O-I-N. So talk a little bit about this. Yeah. So I actually, I grew up in Ireland. Uh, I came to America when I was 18. Uh, my family moved here and then I went to University of Michigan, studied mechanical engineering, which has really nothing to do with what I do today. But, uh, but oddly, it does in some ways too. So so yeah, and then I got into consulting and retail and and here we are. What about your sports background? Did you find your way into kind of the trails and snow slopes or that type of thing? Was that a later in life thing or a early in life thing? Yeah, no, I I mean, I never, in Ireland, there there's not a lot of snow, so no skiing. Not a lot of snow. Not a lot of snow, no, uh, no skiing. Um, and you know, it was, the skiing was very much the, the, uh, for the for the very rich, right? That would go to you know the Alps. Uh, there was one place that had a, a like a fake slope, so people could I guess learn so so as not to fall on their ass when they did go to the to to the Alps. But no, never never skied, didn't ever did any of that stuff. I was a Boy Scout though, so I had a lifelong love of camping. And to do to this day, you know, we, we have our family camping trips with our friends every year. This is not hardcore backpacking. This is this is car camping. <laughs> but yeah, and, and that that's really how I came to the outdoors. And so I'm more on, on the hiking camping side of things. Yeah, you know, I did some skiing in college, but really, really not a big, a big skier. Okay. As I told you before we started recording, like Moose Jaw is a pretty interesting entity to me for a number of reasons, but as we kind of look at the outdoor retailer landscape, right? I mean, we've got, we're kind of in a world where we have the small independent specialty retailers. We've got really big online retailers. How do you think about where Moose Jaw is currently or how do you locate Moose Jaw among that kind of the outdoor retailer landscape. It's an interesting landscape, right? Because to your point, it's there. There are a few of us that are of any scale, right? Uh, there's obviously REI, you know, in our space because you know we we come from more of a climbing, camping, mountaineering background. Although you know we've expanded over the years into bike, trail running, yoga. Uh, snow really within the last couple of years, I would say. Water sports, we've been been in for for quite a long time, but really, you know, REI is obviously the eight hundred pound gorilla. Backcountry is is big online. We are also very big online. Um, so it's really between the three of us online. You've got you know you've got specialists like Evo obviously as well on the on the snow side, and they're in bike a little bit. But then you know beyond that, it really falls off very very fast. 
you know, we have we have 12 stores. And if you actually look at the the number, you know, companies with the most number of doors in America, we're actually within the top 10 with only 12 doors, which is kind of crazy, right? When you think about it, there's, you know, the vast majority, um, you know, the, the last list I looked at had about a thousand different retailers, but the vast, vast majority of those have one or two doors. And then we, we've lost a few you know, over the, over the last few years. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting place. You know, we, on the one hand, we're, we're small retail in that our stores are, you know, kind of your typical outdoor store, 3,500, 4,000 square feet. And generally they are street front downtown locations. We're not in malls. We're not in, you know, the, we're not, we're not a big box that's, you know, in the outlot of some of your local strip mall. That's not where Moose Joe lives. So from and it's funny actually here in Michigan people think of Moose Jaw as just like their local gear store because you know we've got lots of stores here we've got a store in in Chicago one in Boulder one in uh, Kansas City and then one in, in Olathe Kansas so uh, yeah so so we we definitely um, understand what it is to be a small local store because that's how we started oh, 28 years ago um, and that's how our, our how our stores live but then you know they're within this bigger company that that is is a bit of a, an online behemoth. Yeah. Boy, this is an interesting thing, right? I mean, you just talked about kind of Moose Jaw's roots where it it was a brick and mortar shop. Well, now it's a company that's got the backing of one of the largest companies on earth in Walmart, right? Right. That's interesting. As the CEO of Moose Jaw, talk a bit about what that relationship has looked like being Moose Jaw backed by Walmart? Well, you know, I mean, really, Walmart bought Moose Jaw to really help supercharge the growth of the outdoor category on walmart.com, really more than anything. And so, and, and that was in twofold. One is getting all the expertise that we have around the outdoors with our merchant team, with our marketing team, and then also trying to, to, to get some of some more brands, some more outdoor brands onto the, the Walmart platform. And so that's what really I worked on for the first three years of, uh, of being part of Walmart. So I kind of wore two hats. I was the, still the CEO of Mistra, but then I was also the GM of Walmart, Walmart e-commerce. In the last, actually, just this year, I've stepped away from that role to focus solely <clears throat> on Moose Jaw again, because really Walmart has reorganized the merchant side of the business, um, and they're actually they're actually bringing together the the store merchants with the online merchants into one overall what they're calling Omni teams. And as part of that, there was a, as part of that reshuffling, I'm, I've actually stepped away from the Walmart business, but still know a lot of the people involved, obviously, and still still help them as needed. But yeah, no, it's been it's been it's been really interesting just to 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 take that business to a better place, more of an enthusiast focus, increase the the product line, the the performance of the products, et cetera. And this is an interesting one, right? Again, you and I were talking before we started recording. Walmart certainly draws out some very strong responses in people. And it might be fair to say, maybe in particular in the outdoor space, right? And I want to spend a few minutes just talking about this because on the one hand, I understand people who are like, I don't like that company. And and I told you, I was like, you could have put me in that camp a number of years ago, right? Like, screw those guys. They're this big behemoth, whatever. And if you asked me to start really pressing down on what exactly my complaint was, 
I might not have had very specific examples. I think that one of the things that's really changed, and I'm just talking about me, one of the things that I've really changed, I think, in terms of my thinking is a lot of us in the outdoor space, and I'm one of them, we talk a lot about change and we talk a lot about how we've got to do better in terms of the energy sector, right? And we talk a lot about we've got to become more inclusive in these sports that we love so much. The problem is, if that's actually going to be anything more than just nice talk, we have got to get on board or have the largest corporations in the world start to get on board with some of these similar ideas and notions. And I think that that, I mean, it's embarrassing to say, but that was one of the realizations for me that it's like, we can't just sit here protesting this stuff and think we're actually going to affect change in a large scale without without the assistance of some of the largest entities in the world. Again, that's just my take. I don't expect everybody to agree with me on that, but what does that sound like when you hear me say some things like that? It's great to hear you say that because uh, I absolutely see that as a, as a big issue for us as, a, as, a, as an industry, just our level of inclusivity and the kind of the not invented here issues that I see sometimes with, with the industry. There is a level of elitism that is almost endemic in, 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 in who we are and what we do. And I think it's a challenge, it's a challenge both in terms of inclusivity of, of, of participation, but also inclusivity of people who work in our industry. You know, you walk down the, the halls of, uh, of the outdoor retailer show, which is one of our biggest trade shows in the industry. It is the whitest thing you'll ever see. It, it's, it's, we're embarrassingly lacking in diversity. You know, I spoke to uh, the, the future leaders of the outdoor industry, a, a group, a great group, uh, you know, and, and uh, something that I'm happy to support. Spoke to them about a year ago. I had a great and frank conversation, but looking out into the audience of these future leaders of the industry, I saw some, some very encouraging levels of gender diversity, but pretty much zero racial diversity, right? And so from a racial perspective, the outdoor industry of tomorrow looks a hell of a lot like the outdoor industry of today in terms of leadership. And so we, we have a problem. And, you know, that was a big part of, of, uh, of working with Walmart and, and the opportunity that I saw there to make, to make a difference, to, to bring more people into the tent. And, you know, you, you, you talk about the fact that your perception of, of Walmart was, was not one that was friendly to the industry or to the environment, perhaps. And, you know, I shared a lot of those same biases before I joined Walmart or we started talking about a deal. And then I started to do my homework and I realized, yeah, that, that unfortunately, you know, that, that is a, it's a sort of a dated viewpoint, maybe that comes from things that were baked in the nineties or what have you. And so much has changed over the years and, and they, it just doesn't get press coverage, right? It, it, it isn't sexy. It doesn't make sexy headlines that, you know, that Walmart has committed to become a regenerative company, for example. You know, I didn't see a, a single lick of, of press coverage on that, certainly in the outdoor industry, right? And, you know, that, that's a major announcement. When, when the world's biggest corporation says, you know, we're not, we're not just talking about getting to net neutral or carbon offsets or those sorts of things, you know, planting trees in the rainforest or in India, which is great, right? We're not just talking about doing that. No, we're, say, we're saying we're going to be a regenerative company. We're actually going to, we're, we're taking serious stewardship over 
millions of square miles of oceans of land. Um, we're looking at our total supply chain, getting to zero net waste in landfills in, in, in the U.S. market. Does it make press that, 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 that Walmart has the highest installed base of solar panels? No, no, that, that it, it's just it's just not sexy, right? It's just it's not that, that's not the headline. So it is it is actually it, it is amazing. And you know, having spent time with the highest leadership of, of, of the company, you know, this isn't just PR spin or whatever else. This this is is core and it's heartfelt. And and Doug, the CEO, to hear him speak on this, you can tell that something is very close to his heart. And he's now the head of the the um, the CEO roundtable and has really pushed to to change the definition of what a stakeholder is even within within corporate America. And that stakeholders have to include it's not just the shareholders or the customers or even the associates that work for the company. The other stakeholders are the community that you live in and the planet that you live on. The planet is a stakeholder in all that we do. And so those are the kinds of things that I think are important to understand with what we're, with where we're coming from and that don't really get the play that they deserve. Can you say a little bit more about the CEO? It's the CEO roundtable. It's a roundtable of the basically the CEOs of the biggest corporations in America. I'm not even sure how many CEOs there are on it, but but Doug is now the head of that. Um, and it's a major group for working with with policymakers uh, in Washington on on uh, on the next steps. And so, you know, under Doug's leadership, there have been a lot of things. Uh, social justice has been a major uh, a major factor there, and and th- that's obviously been a, a big topic this year. Uh, you know, as we've as we've dealt with social justice issues, but. I was very proud of of really how Doug went after that. You know, it wasn't just hey, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna put up a, a a black square on our social media for a day and let's check that box and move on. And and there wasn't this you know knee jerk sort of PR release about you know what we stand with you and all that stuff. And th- those are great, but you actually have to to follow up. And so there was a lot of thought that went into okay, here's what we're going to do, and it's a it, it's a five year plan. And these are the things we're going to go after. And these are the four areas that we're going to attack that are about the underlying issues, whether it be education and how we work with, you know, historically black universities to to increase their enrollment or increase the graduation rate of, uh, of male students, for example, or increase the increase the number of those students that that, that get STEM degrees or working with with the recently incarcerated and how we bring people back into society or you're working with underlying systemic racism you, you know again dealing with the root causes and not just talking about press releases so yeah i've been nothing but impressed with with the character and the 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 perspectives of of walmart from the highest levels so then how does some of that get translated or implemented into the operations at moose jaw on a day-to-day basis. Like help me understand. So that's you gave a pretty, you know, compelling and inspiring talk about sort of how Doug is seeing the world and what he's trying to do. But then when it comes to Moose Jaw, how how does that work or translate? So we we've really taken on, and this was something before even the events of this year, but we've really taken on inclusivity as a core part of what we want to do and what we want to stand for as a company. And, and it really the, the two the two big pillars from that perspective are sustainability and inclusivity. And sustainability, I think, is obviously is critically, critically important to any outdoor company, but I don't think the inclusivity message is getting out there. So that's one where we're probably going to lend our voice 
a little bit more. And and again, we want to hold ourselves accountable. Uh, and so we have we have a monthly cadence of of messaging around this to to our customers, and also to keep us honest that we're actually doing stuff and we're not just talking about stuff. And so that's one of the reasons why. Uh, we're doing this uh, Moostra Outdoor Accelerator, we're, and we're partnering with the Ice Lab. It's because, you know, again, we can talk about these things. We can talk about the the, the fact that there isn't enough diversity in the outdoor industry, but we want to we want to do something. So we're actually going to to try to find underrepresented groups within the industry and really give them a leg up to 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 get from idea or concept to an actual product that can be introduced in the industry and really you know, make a difference right from the, from the very base levels and so uh we're, we're going to be let's see on the 14th of december we're going to be opening up applications for this this is something as i said we, we're partnered with the uh, with ice lab which is part uh it's on the campus of uh, western colorado university in in gunnison we've also partnered with uh with gear junkie and so gear junkie is going to is our is like our is our media partner they've they've actually uh, sponsored pitch fest in the past at outdoor retailers so it made made a lot of sense for them to be involved with this it's something they're passionate about as well camber outdoors is is an outdoor industry group the build built around diversity equity and inclusion and then also uh, we, we've got some uh, some other some other players, uh, Holland and Hart, uh, on the legal side to provide advice. But basically, the the winners, the the four winners of this, which again we hope to be the inclusivity focused, will have a really an eight week crash course and how to how to build their business and and take them from you know from maybe a concept or an idea or a very early stage to to really be ready for to launch or to 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 go after investors and and get to the next stage. Okay, so the application process for the the Moose Jaw Outdoor Accelerator, it's December 14th to January 14th. And people can go to the moosejaw.com website to find this. We'll include links to this uh, in the show notes to this episode. And I can say, I mean, I, you know, I'm talking to you here in Crested Butte, Colorado, and know David Assad very well, the head of the Ice Lab. We've worked with them. I give David a lot of crap. It's one of my favorite things to do in the world, but he is a really sharp guy. And I hope he doesn't listen to this and hear me say that. He's one of my like most consistent mountain biking partners as well. And I can speak from personal experience that the opportunity to work with David is going to be extremely beneficial, especially to any young company or to some people who just have an idea for a company. Whoever gets accepted to this is it's going to be an opportunity well worth their time. And again, I can say that from from personal experience. And I think that's a really interesting point of emphasis that you put on this, which kind of brings us back full circle with what we've been talking about, that this could be a really prime opportunity on the inclusivity front. And it's like back to the question of how do we actually, actually implement change and not just talk about it, right? right? That if we start getting different people and giving them the opportunity to create new products or create new companies in this space, that's one important element of it, right? Yeah. And because the other thing is, you know, I, I wish I could tell you that we had, that we had cracked the code in terms of of hiring, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 have a pretty diverse em, em, employee base at Moose Jaw, but when you get into merchandising, 
and IT and marketing, not so much, right? And uh, or even if I look at sort of the, the the folks in our stores, sure we've got some diversity, but nowhere near where it should be. And so I look at it and I say, you know, why why is that? Because it, it's certainly for no want of of trying. Uh, or barriers, let's say, that we're putting up on our side. And ultimately, what it comes down to is the people who want to work for Mizjaw are outdoor enthusiasts themselves, right? I mean, I think most people would tell you they don't work in the outdoor industry to get rich quick, right? <laughs> I mean, it's because they love the outdoor industry. Maybe, you know, for a lot of a lot of the, the, the younger folks that, that, that start up, that come up through our stores, it's for the, it's for the, uh, the gear discounts, right? You know, as much as anything, so, so it, it funds their passions. And so if we're not getting people of all races and colors and genders and, and what have you into the outdoors and into, um, you know, into outdoor activities, we're never going to crack the code in terms of the industry either. So, so that's a big part of what we're trying to do is really break down those barriers, get more people in. And, and some of it has been, you know, self-reflection. So like one of the things that we're looking to do is, be more inclusive in the, in the activities and the brands that we that we carry. You know, I would say, you know, having started out and our core being more in backpacking and climbing, we 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 probably look down on car camping, right? It, it's like, oh, oh, you're a car camper. Oh, excuse me. Even though I'm a car camper, that's who I am, right? But as a company, it's just like, well, oh, well, if you can't, you know, you know if it isn't ultra lightweight and you can't carry it on your back, then you know, why are we selling it? So, uh, same thing sometimes with, with some brands too. It's like, well. Okay, not everybody can afford, right, a three hundred dollar tent as their as their first tent. Not everybody can afford a two hundred dollar backpack, right? And so, so it, it, it's it's about saying, okay, how do we how do we get good gear? Like we we don't want to dumb down the gear. We don't want to sell cheap stuff that is going to break the first time somebody uses it. That's not what we want, what we want to be about. But you know, how can we make great quality gear available so that we get rid of the economic hurdles to be part of the outdoors? How do we create the, the the knowledge the product knowledge um to break down some of the some of the knowledge barriers that exist for people that, that, that where they might be a little bit intimidated with going camping for the first time and being away from from home or going backpacking for the first time you know how do we break down you know just just some of the the elitism that does exist within within our industry and welcome everybody under the tent so to speak literally and figuratively right and so that, that's a big part of, of what we're trying to do here this is tricky Case, case you weren't aware of this, Owen, this is tricky. Oh yeah, I know. While you're talking, I'm just thinking about the fact that on the one hand, sometimes when we talk about really inexpensive gear, really quote unquote cheap stuff, right? There are the questions that you've already just spoken to about how well does it perform? Is it actually durable? But these days, maybe increasingly, and I think this is a good thing, we do worry about sustainability and right. getting cleaner and better supply chains and the rest. And it kind of seems like the more you are concerned about where things are manufactured and how they are manufactured and the rest, well, we maybe start moving away to cheapest price tag possible. So there's one set of concerns, right? And then I'm just sitting here thinking about the fact that it's like, 
I, re- you know, I remember several years ago when there was a bit of an uproar about, you know, certain brands were being brought into Walmart, certain outdoors brands were being brought into Walmart, and there was kind of this backlash and people were upset. And yet, since we also are talking a lot about inclusivity these days, I am certain percentage-wise, the number of black and brown people walking into a Walmart is exponentially higher than a lot of some of my own favorite independent outstanding shops absolutely i mean i mean that is the that's where that, that those those customers are i think the other thing too is you know car camping is the gateway to the outdoors for a lot of people and you know i i, I think we need to we need to embrace that and say okay and and those customers today really are served by the, the Walmarts of the world, right? Yep. Um, yes, the, this you can get some of that product at, at, at your local whatever REI. Generally, you, you wouldn't get it at your local gear store. But, you know, it's it's how do you step up from that into the other activities, into hiking, into backpacking, into climbing. But yeah, it, it is. It's a matter of of uh, striking that balance um, in terms of the product. So, you know, so for us, we introduced a new gear brand called Lithic last year. And really, the, the, the goal was to, to provide high-performing, high-quality gear at a more approachable cost. So this, this is, you know, this is, the, the gear is not the stuff that you're, you're going to, you know, through-hike with, for example, right? It, but it's, 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 it performs well. You know, the, the, the weights are, are good enough that you could actually backpack with this gear and, and, and not, not kill yourself. And really, the way that we came at it was, was not a case of, hey, let's, find the cheapest gear possible. It was more a case of, you know, we're willing to basically take less margin on this. Like a, a lot of, a lot of brands, a lot of, a lot of bigger um, retailers will look at what they call private brands and they'll say, well, this is a, this is a way for us to make more money, right? Because we're, we're, we're cutting out, we're cutting out the, the kind of the middleman, so to speak, so we can market up more and keep more for us. Right. And that wasn't the case here at all. Actually, we actually said, no, we're going to, we're going to obviously the, the, the first thing was the performance and the quality that had to be there. Then let's get to the cost. And then where do we need to price it to be accessible to, to customers and to be a real value? Not let's slap on X margin and then, you know, that's where we're going to be. So, so that's really a part of what, what that was, was about, you know, there's even some backlash from that. So yeah, it's challenging. I, I think, I think part of the problem is, is that the industry looks at a company the size of Walmart and, and just naturally gets threatened, you know, and, and for all of the, the talk of, of inclusivity, ultimately, you know, it comes down to people want to protect what's theirs. And unfortunately, what that leads to is, is protecting this, this small piece of the pie and not understanding that we're, what we have to do as an industry is grow the pie. If we can grow the pie, then everybody gets to have their piece of the pie and hopefully can grow their piece of the pie too. But if all you do is just say, no, no, I got to protect the pie, protect the pie, protect my piece of this pie. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. And and we, we end up wasting a lot of energy on things that aren't going to, to improve our industry or quite frankly, improve our planet in the long run. I'm so curious thinking now about the people who are going to listen to our conversation and I can see some of them kind of cheering along with what you're saying, and I can see others being really upset right now, you know, and uh, which is kind of why I said, like, this stuff is tricky. And, you know, I guess that I have, and, and I don't have answers here. I'm, I'm working this out in real time, you know? Sure. It still seems evident to me 
And this is what we've been talking about on Blister for some years now. It is still evident to me that there is going to be a much needed, very valuable place in the retail landscape for extremely good local brick and mortar service centers, right? Those of us who care about skiing and mountain biking and the like, we still are going to need to know and have in existence those outstanding bike mechanics and boot sure. fitters and ski tuners and the rest. And I guess to me, that is sort of a bit of the question. Like when you talk about growing the pie and that sounds really good to me and that ticks off the box that we're all talking about, about we want this to be a more welcoming and open uh, and more accessible sort of outdoor landscape, right? A less white landscape where more people are encouraged to get outside, right? And spend time in nature, all the stuff that we love and that is so beneficial to our all of our own kind of independent well-being, you know? I don't know how this actually plays out. I'm not an economist, right? So on the one hand, though, I like this idea of a larger company if it has its values in the right place, growing this pie that would bring more people into these areas that we love, that that also then works really well for that outstanding local shop that's offering stellar service when it comes to right. all of this equipment and the rest. I'm not, I'm not smart enough and I don't have a crystal ball there. Do you think that that that's a vision or a version of the world that you can see kind of evolving over the next five, 10, 20 years here. Yes. So what I, what I think is that there is a, an absolutely core need for, for local outdoor shops. Right. And, and I think one of the things that I, unfortunately may come out of, uh, of this year is that we may, may lose more shops and that, that isn't, that's not good news for anybody in my mind, in the industry. But I think as an industry, we need to come together and understand, you know, what, what is it that, what is it that the role that, that these shops are best at playing? And then how do we support those shops in, in that role? And to your point, what the, what, what the shops obviously provide service, which is great, but more than anything, they provide knowledge. And in other cases, they provide a, a gathering place for people and a place for people to, to come together and to, and to really share stories about, about what they do. So, Part of the challenge that we have as an industry is, in a lot of cases, the shops have actually trended away from gear and and more into towards lifestyle or towards apparel because the margins are a little bit better. And also with the with all of the specialization that we're seeing that goes on in gear, you know, a, a small gear shop just can't can't hope to compete with an online player. The small gear shop has. 10 different backpacks. The online player has 300 different backpacks, right? In every size and color you can imagine it. So, yes. so how, how do you, how do they play in that world? Really, to, what, 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 to me, what it needs to be is we need to come together as an industry and, and the brands have to say, hey, listen, you know, local gear shop, I'm going to support you basically with, with a full backend dropship system, okay, uh, to where if somebody comes in looking for a pack, you're going to have some packs there. It's kind of almost like a showrooming approach. If, if you're going to help the customer pick the right pack for them or the right ski for them or whatever else, you may not have it in inventory, but you know my inventory and my product better than anybody. You're going to help them find that product. It's going to be shipped to you. 
and then you're going to put it on and you're going to have it fitted. And that customer is going to have the best possible experience because they're going to get the right product the right way the, the, the first time that's going to work for them. It's going to be fitted to them. It's good for you. It's good for the brand. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to shove inventory onto you as, as the, as a local shop and I'm letting you do what you need to do, but you're going to make full margin on, on that product. Right. So that to me is kind of where we need to get to as an industry and not look to, to try to kind of hold back the tide that is, you know, that is the, the shift to online sales, for example, or the shift to even to, to some of the D2C. And we're seeing some brands that are, that get it, I think, and that are trying to do things here. Toad and Co would be an example. Mountain Hardware is another example of brands that are saying, no, 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 let's think about this a different way and, and actually help that local that local gear shop, uh, as opposed to have almost an adversarial relationship in some cases between the brands. So that, that, that to me is where it needs to be. But yeah, gear shops are, are, are key. We, we've, we've got to keep, keep, keep that, that part of the business alive. Can you say just a little bit more about you, you cited specifically Toad and Co and Mountain Hardware? Yep. Can you just say a little bit more about what they're doing in particular? So Toad and Co and you know, I, I don't. I don't want to misquote them here, but from what I understand, Toad and Co is actually they are giving local stores that carry their product basically a, a cut of online sales that they themselves are doing, but that are being shipped into those markets. Okay, so that's one piece. And then on the flip side, I think I believe it's Mountain Hardware. They're actually giving a, a pretty hefty commission to, to to again local gear shops that are that's that that's basically sending business to their to their online store so you know what what i'd love to see is you know some of the industry associations come together and say okay hey listen this you know this kind of patchwork effect thing that we have right now today is is kind of tricky you know could we come up with it with it with a common way a common platform to where all of these brands could come together and say hey let's get all this all of the brand information together it's easily accessible by these gear shops so they don't have to do all of, you know, they, they don't have a ton of, of, of IT resources or staff. Let's get something that's pretty baked to where they can easily access all of the, the, the product specifications from all these different brands, right? But they would only unlock brands where they have been, where, where they have shown that they, that they have an expertise in those brands, that they know the product line. You know, they would work through um, an expertise or some of these other Online portals where they go through all the training, they, they 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 do all of the the testing to show that they know that brand. That unlocks that brand that they can actually sell it in their store. They don't necessarily have to have inventory, but they can sell it, and then they would get that commission on that sale. Either have it shipped to the customer or to the store to be fitted for the customer. But it really leverages that 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 relationship that they have, that knowledge that they have, but really frees them from the limits of of the inventory you can hold in a three thousand square foot store. I'd love to just kind of pick your brain a bit more on, from your vantage point, thoughts on the outdoor industry. And I guess I'm kind of tempted to ask in particular things that sort of drive you the most crazy about this industry, but the floor is yours and you can kind of take this where you, where you like. You know, I, I think, yeah, well, we've already really touched on part of it is, is the elitism in the industry definitely does drive me a little bit crazy. We're a little bit elitist. I think we get a little bit sanctimonious at times. And it just, it, it doesn't become a very welcoming approach to, to people that are outside the industry looking in. So I think that's probably the piece that drives me crazy. That said, you know, the industry just, 
I, I, I love the actor industry. I mean, it, it's, there's so many great people that, that I've met so many, it, it attracts a lot of, a lot of really fun people. Um, I've had some, some, some great times at outdoor retailer shows over the years, you know, very, very friendly with a lot of the different brands and even other retailers that I've met. So it's a it's a great bunch of folks, no doubt about it. But but again, I think unfortunately sometimes we just get you know overly protective of of our piece of the pie and 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 kind of can can miss the can miss the big picture. You use the word sanctimonious. You said sometimes we can be pretty sanctimonious in this industry. Do you mean that specifically in terms of specific political stances, or how how do you mean that? No, not necessarily. I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I think we're, we're going after the right things. Um, you know, Moose Jaw, we're proud members of the Conservation Alliance. You know, we're, we're, we're looking to, to help to conserve the outdoors. I, I think the, the messages that the industry continues to get behind around sustainability are absolutely important and they're the right messages to send. It's just that to our earlier point, we can only make a difference in, in the industry and, and, and to the wider planet if you get more and more people involved, right? I mean, that's what the, the whole Paris Accord was about, was, was basically getting everybody on the same, same page. You know, so it, it's one thing if you have the, the European Union that has these great standards, but if we can't get the developing world to, to move up towards the same standards, then, you know, we, we can't reverse what's going on, right, as a planet. Same thing, though, from an, from an industry perspective, right? If, if all we're going to do is, I mean, if we if we got the the outdoor industry to 100% regenerative, net neutral, carbon neutral, call it what you will, we really wouldn't move the needle. I mean, it, it would be a great thing to do. We really wouldn't move the needle. I mean, you look at the supply chain of let's say Walmart, right? It's you know rough figures, round figures, 20 times bigger than the whole outdoor industry. Okay, so it's like, well, shouldn't we look to bring in? The WalMarts of the world and other companies, other big companies, and and you know, and applaud people that are that are making making the effort and putting themselves out there and putting out you know big goals and saying you know, hey, how how, how do we how do we get involved? How do we work together? You know, again, doesn't get any press, but Walmart's been involved with the Environmental Defense Funds for over over a decade, but. You know, we, we need more people involved in, in sustainability if, if we're really going to make a difference, not, not just us. Yeah. And I, I think that, again, I, I, I guess ironic as a podcast host, but it's just like, I really am just tired of the talking about these issues, right? Like on the one hand, yes, we need that. But if, if we just have the conversations, we just reaffirm that you and I are really interested in inclusivity and then we say goodbye and then just nothing changes that makes us frauds actually totally that just makes us frauds and again i don't i'm not coming into this like as if i personally have like the answers for how to put all the lego pieces in just the right way to make this go but i um as i said earlier i do think that we've got to think about scale a bit and I think that is the attractive part to me in this. The other thing I, I kind of want to say while you were talking is I do think young people deserve a lot of credit here. Okay. You know, like I think that 
the teenagers of the world, the 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 early twenty somethings. I think that they are coming at this with a broader sense of well, the world and justice, and what it means to do well in life. And I sure hope that they maintain that as they come up, as they become CEOs and the rest. Right. I'm buying stock in the youth, and I'm going to be severely disappointed if they end up kind of losing their way on this. And so I think it sure feels like I think even in this last election cycle here in the US, there was more encouragement for people to try to get more educated on a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. That's a start. I mean, even even 10 or 20 years ago, I would say that we're in, we're in a different and I think better position today than than we were 10 or 20 years ago. It was kind of, frankly, right? I mean, certainly I think in the 80s, it was just like, how much money is that company making? Mm -hmm. It was a pretty narrow monolithic metric. Right. And I think at least the talk is headed in the right way. And now we just need to make sure that, again, that talk actually is being translated to action. It, I agree. And, and it, it's certainly the Moose was a very young company in terms of our folks. You look at our marketing departments, our, you know, our people, uh, very young. And, and actually, Moose as a retailer, our customer base is very young relative to, to the rest of the industry. You know, our, our, our largest cohort is actually in that 25 to 25 to 35, which is not, not the average. The average for the industry, the average customer is in their mid 40s. In the outdoor industry, we're more like hmm, 37, we'll say. So, so we attract a, a younger customer, which I think is key to bringing more people into this. And you know, I do think we just have to 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 look at different business models to get people into the outdoors. And you know, uh, kind of coming full circle here a little bit, we talked about the the issue about quality gear versus price point versus accessibility, right? So. Like we've been trying, we, we as Mooster are saying, okay, well, it, it is a challenge, right? There's, there, there aren't a lot of easy answers there. One answer, though, is rental, as an example. So that's something that we're going after, not not because it's like, oh, hey, this is the next way to make a million dollars. It's because this is the the way we feel that we can get more people into the outdoors on a trial basis, and it was funny. We, we do surveys of our customers a few times a year, and we'll get. 30, 40,000 responses. And one of the more recent ones we asked about rental. What do you think, you know, how, how interested would you be in renting camping gear in uh, outerwear for, for snow sports, what have you? And, you know, when we first looked at the results in aggregate, we said, oh, you know, I guess there's not that huge of a response here. Then we sliced it by age and it was amazing, right? 18 to 24, 24 to 30, there was some serious interest in rental as an option, right? Because uh, again, for the for the for those younger customers, it's less about owning and more about experiencing and doing, right? So if I'm only going to going to backpack once a year or twice a year, yeah, let me let me get all the gear, the best gear. But instead of costing two thousand dollars to be equipped for this trip, it might only cost me, you know, two hundred bucks, right? And and I'll I'll enjoy it and I'll go on and and maybe next time. Instead of a, a two-man tent, I'm going to bring some other friends and we're going to go in it with a four-man tent, right? So I, I think there's there's lots of different ways to come at this. Um, the other thing is is used gear, right? You know, again, how do we how do we make sure that that the gear that we're selling is is quality and it's going to work and it's safe? So it's not just about uh, you know dumping 
you know, beaten up gear on, on people. You'd only sell stuff that, that still had a good, useful life, but had, you know, had getting used gear out there. And, you know, and in fairness, I think that's actually one area that the industry has started to make good, good progress. Obviously the, the worn wear approach that, um, that Patagonia has taken has been, has been pioneering. Uh, but yeah, I think there's more we can do there as an industry too, on the, on the gear front. I think most of the, most of the, used part of things has been more on the the apparel and apparel or repair side of things you know how do we take that into you know the equipment side as well yeah we just had a really interesting conversation with one of our blister recommended shops boise gear collective mm-hmm. in boise idaho and i just talked with their founder tyson we did a whole conversation recently about the fact that they are a shop that does sell both new and used gear and Tyson had a lot of interesting things to say from that perspective, right? And and talking about initially, he was saying that there are probably a number of shops who would be reluctant to sell used gear because it might sort of somehow, I don't know, take down Mm -hmm. a, a perception of the shop when somebody walks in. And yet, again, if what we care about is accessibility, inclusivity, making these sports and activities more lowering the barrier to entry. Well, these are things like, man, we should screw off with our concerns that everything isn't absolutely pristine, right? When somebody walks in the door, it's not the point. Right. Who decided that was the point? Right. It's the same thing with rental, right? Because the first thing that people would say, if if we're going to offer rental for a certain tent, it's like, well, Oh, and you know, you could sell that tent for three hundred dollars. Why? Why are you renting it for thirty dollars? Right? You you just you just gave up it. You just gave up two hundred and seventy five dollars in revenue on that deal, or two hundred and seventy dollars in revenue. Why? Why would you do that? Right? And and it's 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 kind of playing the long game, right? It's saying, well, yeah, okay, maybe. Well, f- first of all, probably the person that's coming to our site. To, to, to spend $300 on a tent, they've already decided they're spending $300 on a tent. So, you know, so take that aside. It's a different customer is the key thing, right? So it is incremental, right? It is bringing more people in. Just like the, 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 the that used example, right, of, of let's say it's skis, uh, right? There's a customer that wants that brand new, beautiful new pair of skis that has all the latest rocker technology, whatever, whatever, Right. And there's a customer that says, I can't afford that, but I really want to want to get out on the slopes. And, you know, I, I want the best gear I can get for my money. And that happens to be a used pair that's a couple of years old, right? That's going to get me 90% of the performance for 50% of the price. Yeah. I should let you get going. I think I want to come back to this Moose Jaw Outdoor Accelerator that we talked about in the middle. And I mean, this has been really cool. I appreciate the time. And it's it's we've really moved from a lot of different points, I think that are all really important and relevant. And I hope more than anything that this just gets people thinking perhaps about some of these different segments in a way that maybe they hadn't before. Mm -hmm. Um, I I certainly don't feel like I've said anything that's like, this is the right way to think about this issue now. I want to be clear about that, but I appreciate it's been a while since I've had such a macro level conversation that's really trying to look at the entire chessboard here, you know, and all of the relevant variables. So that's been a really interesting conversation to have with you on, on, on all of these different fronts. But coming back to the the Moose Jaw Outdoor Accelerator, again, we are encouraging 
people here to apply. The application window is between December 14th and January 14th. And again, maybe give us one more round of how you talk about what you hope to see comes from this accelerator. Sure. So first of all, we would love to see uh, founders you know, that there are from underrepresented groups within the industry or even companies that are looking to to address inclusivity. Maybe it's maybe it's plus sized uh, products, right? They get more people outdoors. Whatever it is, you know, we, we'd love inclusivity to be, be, be a part of it. And we'd love to get as many applicants as, as possible, right? You know, if, if you're thinking about it, do it, right? And what we're going to do then is we're going to as a team between us and the ice lab and, and all the different folks, Camber and, and Holland and Hart, we're going to take a look at all of the applicants and we're going to narrow it down to 10. And then we're going to actually put it back out to, to the readers of gear junkie, to the people that come to Mistra and say, what do you guys think? Who, who are the, who are the, the folks that you really would get excited about being part of our industry? And those four people then we're going to invite and it's an eight week it's an eight week course it's running from mid-april um through uh through june two weeks initially uh virtually as 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 they get up to speed go through some of the background stuff really get stuff together uh and then a week in boulder and i plan to be there for that week with some of the the moostro management team we'll also be uh, bringing in some of the folks from camber and some other industry players to meet and and really kick things off, get the teams together, and then five weeks at the Ice Lab in, in Gunnison, where, where really that's that's the, the core coursework, um, the core um, principles and, and mentoring that, that can help in everything from, you know, how do you get an investor? How do you do prototyping? How, how do you source product? You know, you name it. They, they have some of the things there that can really take a take a uh, take a uh, take it from an idea or a product or a prototype and get it down the, the road. Also, a lot of introductions to people. Ultimately, then, hopefully, coming out of that, we'll have people who are ready to who are ready to go to market or very close to that. And then, Mustro would help in terms of actually helping launch those products in our stores and online on our social media and our email, etc. Gear Junkie uh, would help in terms of you know providing some publicity for, for you know because they have a very enthusiast focused uh, readership. And then, you know, Holland and Hart is going to, will help on the legal side, whether it's, you know, uh, documents with new investors, IP is critical, obviously, for new products. Uh, and then Canberra Outdoor is really working with them on the whole ideas of diversity and inclusion, making connections as well, but also building that in to these companies from the, from the ground floor. So I, I'm just really excited that we, we've kind of brought together what I think of as a bit of this dream team to help these companies just really just, just, Accelerate, and that's exactly what it's about. Take, taking it from you know, zero to a hundred. One question that people have asked is, you know, what are you looking for in terms of stages of companies? And I, I would tell you that uh, you, you don't have to have, you know, a, f a you know a fully built product. You don't have to be uh, have sold a bunch of uh, of the product. Uh, so pre revenue, as they say in the business, is fine. Um, but you know, it does need to be built out a little bit, right? It can't just be you know, a, a scratch on a napkin or a, hey, wouldn't it be great if you have to have thought through what is the product? Who is my customer? What is the addressable market? And, and, and those questions are laid out in the application as well. Very good. I'm certainly excited to see what comes of it. I hope there are a ton of applicants. We'll certainly make it down to Gunnison and say hi to uh, the folks who do end up becoming part of the the accelerator at the Ice Lab. And that'll be fun to sort of 
get to meet some of those folks. Great, great. That would be great. And I'm sure they would love to meet you. And, you know, with, with what Blister is doing in the industry and, and your knowledge of, uh, of the products, I'm sure they would love your insights as well um, about, mm-hmm. about what they're doing and, and maybe how it has applicability in, 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 in the kinds of products that you, that you guys review and, and get out there in front of people. Well, Owen, thank you for the interesting conversation. And yeah, good luck uh, <laughs> as you, uh, you know, continue to, to steer this moose jaw ship. I think we've talked about a lot of exciting things today. And, and I, you know, I wish you well in implementing a number of these things and, and pushing them further along. Great. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye now. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. And if you are enjoying these conversations, we'd encourage you to subscribe to the Blister Podcast, leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. I also want to say thanks to Owen for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. Now, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and please go check out blister.getspot.com and get yourself some inexpensive injury insurance before you get injured. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you again real soon.